That's a growler. Welcome to Beauty and the Beastly Minute, the podcast where we break down and analyze Beauty and the Beast, one minute at a time. Today we are talking about Minute 8, which starts with the end of the bell song, everybody saying bonjour, and ends with an explosion at Belle's house. I'm Bobby. And I'm Janae. And we are your hosts. What do you have to start off this minute, Janae? Okay, so I just have to say... There's another baker <laughs> in this episode. I, I feel like this baker thing is really starting to bother you. <laughs> I'm just okay. Well, I could buy the the lady in the last minute was Marie, so she's on the same team with that first baker. But this guy is a completely different baker who has a completely different cart of bread, and I'm like, what the? Okay. Anyway, so moving on from that, I just don't get it. I just need to accept that this town is much bigger than I thought it was when I was a yeah, child. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a bigger town. But then, like, we've seen the, the first baker, and then I'm guessing Marie is probably his wife. Then the second baker we saw was a really thin guy, but dressed the same. Oh, no, that was the pumpkin guy. Um, so, that was the pumpkin guy. Okay, so guy. this is the second baker we've seen. Okay, I lived in Argentina for a few years in Buenos Aires, and it's a really big city there, um, so it's not quite the same. But they have bakers there, so they actually bake fresh bread every day. And they are all over the place. So so it's normal. When you're baking fresh bread and people are buying it daily because it's rock hard the next day. Like you can't eat a day old bread. So there have got to be a lot of bakers. So for that reason, I think it's, you know, okay, there's another that baker. That makes sense. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so anyway, moving on from that little detail that I could resist. <laughs> um, so this is when the song ends. There's the final note and a... Uh, and then right at that moment, she turns around and sees all the villagers walking about their business, even though like literally one second ago, they were all staring at her. And I think it's funny that it took her all this time to even notice that there were eyes on her. Like the whole rest of the time, she's just oblivious to it. And then she pops around at the exact minute that they break up it was very broadway musical-esque which i mean all the music in this show is but the i know it's not called staging in this film because <laughs> it's not like that's what you call it in theater um because i have a theater background but the staging quote-unquote of her popping around at that exact minute and everybody going about their business was very um broadway feel to it which i really love so some people don't like it but i love it it makes me happy well and from what i understand i mean i haven't delved too deeply into it but from what i understand they like wrote this movie so that it would be easy to adapt for the stage later on oh and i mean the same screenplay writer did write the book for the broadway musical so yeah, so th That's it, there's definitely a ton of singing in here. There's not a whole lot of, of dialogue, like, without music or without song to go with it. Um, so I could totally see how they would set it up so that it would be easy to, to transition it into a Broadway play, which I believe it was, and very right. successfully, so... Yes, yes. It's a fantastic musical. Um, I, did have a, I did have a thought about the... When she turns around and everybody stops looking, though, because uh -huh. part of it is just the obvious, like, you know, she sees everybody going about and she's like, okay, what just happened? And that's kind of funny. But then could it also be that 
like she was imagining that everybody's focused on her like that's her self-consciousness thinking okay i'm different i don't really fit in and so as she's reading you know everybody's talking about her everybody's singing about her in the back of her mind and then she stops and looks around and really everybody's just going about their normal business and you know that song was kind of just in her head So the whole song was in her imagination yeah so that that's the that's the (sighs) song going on in the back of her mind um subconsciously that's funny so a thought whoa just blow my mind (laughs) (sighs) that's crazy yeah that would be very interesting although i hate those like those things where they're like oh yeah everybody thinks this is real and then it's yeah or it's it's all in their head and it didn't really happen it's a dream within a dream is it still spinning or not right (laughs) yes exactly Uh, so let's talk about, um, can we talk about colors for a second? I like colors. Let's do it. Okay. So Belle is wearing blue. Her book is blue. Gaston is wearing red. I heard in an interview or red, I can't remember, um, that blue in this movie, it symbolizes good, basically. And then the red symbolizes bad, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so... Whenever we see that color later on, we can, and whenever we see both of those colors later on in regards to the beast, we'll be able to know, okay, is he good or is he bad? Mm. I guess. I don't know. Should I actually talk about that? <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm sure we'll get but, more into that as, uh, as we actually meet the beast. Yeah. But we can tell from right off, though, that Gaston and his stereotypical red and bell in her blue contrasting well it's kind of interesting though that uh gaston's eyes are like a very bright obvious blue bright blue and, like you see them very clearly yes. throughout this scene oh yes they are they stand out a lot that is interesting and her eyes are hazel yes sure I'd, i'm kind of colorblind so uh <laughs> like brown <laughs> probably sure hers are kind of like this brownish greenish okay. color Okay, I just took some little screenshots during this scene when... Okay, so basically what's happening is he steals her book from her and is like, how do you read this? There's no pictures. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, I just thought it was funny that he says, you know, how do you read this thing? There are no pictures in it. And, you know, she's like, well, some people use their imagination. But, like, we just saw at the fountain scene that there is, you know, a full page illustration, at least, um, in this book. So I don't know if he just skipped that page and that was the only one in there or or what's going on there. But there's definitely a picture in that book. Yeah. I think that Sally, our researcher, had mentioned somewhere that up to this point, all the books that you would find would have had pictures because they were hand calligraphy written. They had pictures. And again, with the Industrial Revolution, the books were having less and less pictures because they were able to print them. So um, it kind of, in a way, makes sense that he would be like, how can you read this? There's no pictures because he's accustomed to seeing books that have pictures right. in them, which I thought that was interesting. Yeah. It, as we're going along, Gaston is seeming less and less like he's as stupid as we might have thought he was. <laughs> right. Um, I do love his face when he pulls it out of her, the book out of her hands and her hands are just like empty, open, just sitting in front of her and her face is like, what the? <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> he oh, looks so smug. he looks so smug. And he's like, I'm so clever. I uh, took her book. Like, 
she'll be attracted to me now that I got that out of the way. I mean, <laughs> I don't know what he's thinking, but he looks like his plan is working according to plan or something. I don't know. And so she says that some people use their imagination, right? Which I thought yeah. was funny because she's basically implying that he doesn't use his imagination. He doesn't have an imagination, I guess. Yeah, it's a, a subtle jab. Yeah. <laughs> um, And her wit all throughout, he just doesn't catch it. Like when she says you're positively primeval. And I always thought that was so funny. He's like, thank you. Well, he, and he does this kind of like laugh, like, oh, 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 don't, but keep going kind of laugh, you know, like she's flattering him. It's so weird. <laughs> <laughs> and she, he just does not catch her wit and her anything she says, apparently. Well, maybe he does understand what it means and he just takes that as a compliment because we know he's a hunter. He's kind of like your manly man out in the woods type of person. Um, and that's, you know, the, the primeval stereotype of a of oh. a man, what a man should be. And here we are going more into the Industrial Revolution where we're much more focused on thought and on, you know, going outside of the norm and, and creating and right. becoming, you know, industry and all that stuff and that's not something that he's a part of and so he's kind of like oh well thank you yes that's what a man should be not all these guys fiddling around with gadgets and stuff right right that is a very good point i hadn't thought of that so that's a possibility once again gaston surprising us with his <laughs> his supposed understanding of what's going on but then he throws the book in the mud i know uh <laughs> Now, oh, is this gosh. is this worse than than the sheep eating the book? Which um, one's worse? Well, for me, I think that ending up in the mud would be worse for the condition of the book because yes. the sheep didn't destroy any of the rest of it and it didn't actually tear out a part that had words on it or pictures. So that was less damaging to the book. But at the same time, like she kind of just let the sheep do it, whereas this was out of her control. So... And it doesn't seem to really cause the book too much damage. Like, I'm always like, ugh, right. she wipes it with, like, her dress, which I guess that's what and her And there's, like, no mud stains on her apron afterwards. Yeah, but but I'd agree. <laughs> Definitely a book going in the mud is, is way worse, worse than, yeah, way than worse. a page ripping. Yeah. So there's that. Can we go back a second and talk about the bimbets standing there, like, pining after Gaston while he's having this <laughs> conversation? <laughs> Their sigh and their eyelash flutter. It just cracks me up. And Bell, so he's like, Oh, why don't you come with me over to the tavern? And they're like, Oh. And Bell's like, Eh, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> She's just not buying it. Yesterday we were talking about their hairstyles and I oh, figured yeah. it out. And now this is the, the, the bit on the left in this scene that we couldn't figure out who her hairstyle was supposed to be if the other one was Ariel and Jasmine. And I believe it's supposed to be Belle. I was like, that looks really familiar. I know. Then, I thought that too. Yeah. She walks past them. And I'm like, yeah, that's her hair. It's just blonde. And down. Yeah. So. Yeah. Interesting. Tricky, tricky. So yeah, those bimbets. I think it's so funny that... So he invites Belle to... Um, the tavern to take a walk over to the tavern because all girls want to be invited to a tavern and to look at his trophies, which I'm assuming means all the antlers of the animals he's killed that are on the walls. 
right? Yes, that's what I would assume as well. Man, so appealing. I would definitely want to go out with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's sarcasm, <laughs> by the way. Um, uh, well, it shows it shows his power to provide and to hunt and protect. Yes, this is true. This is true. And I love how the, the bimbets are just so appalled and shocked that she declines his invitation. <laughs> um, so that's pretty funny. Yes. One line that we kind of skipped over um, when he's talking about her reading. I forget exactly what the line is, but, you know, he says, you know, soon she starts getting ideas and thinking. And, <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of has this face like, oh, it's disgusting. <laughs> and he like kind of does this hand gesture where it's like, it's crazy. Yeah, it's, oh, it's a great line. It definitely this establishes, you know, what he expects from a woman and right. that it's, it is not what we have in Belle. And I, I think it's a great line and it ties into another line we'll, we'll get to later on um, that kind of fits in that same vein of thought. Perfect. So then after this happens and she's trying to escape, LeFou makes a, says like something derogatory about her father, right? Yeah. And Gaston laughs first. And then when she's like, hey, don't talk about my father that way. Gaston shuts the laugh off and gets angry at LeFou. Yeah, don't talk about her father that way and knocks him on the head. Gotta look good in front of his girl, apparently. Yeah. And it's just such an abusive relationship that he it has really to, to LeFou. I mean, he's con constantly throwing stuff at him and hitting him in the head and, you know, smacking him around. And so it's kind of sad if you think about it like that. But it's in there. It's in there to kind of, you know give some humor to the to some of these scenes right right and i, I like how big his laugh is when he's laughing at uh at I who said i mean he's like got his hands slapping his knees and you know he is he's enjoying that joke <laughs> something like that yeah he's he's enjoying that joke so let's talk about that's kind of most of what i've got about like the action that's actually going on in this minute let's transition to talking about these actors does that sound good? Yeah, yeah. We haven't really talked too much about who the actors are behind the characters. Let's get into that and, and find out a little bit more about them. Okay, so let's start with Belle. Belle is voiced by Paige O'Hara. And um, she, I actually just found this out, she auditioned for the role when she was 30 years old. And she actually voiced the character when she was 35. She auditioned and got the role five years before she actually did it. Can you imagine that? That's, That's a crazy. long time to wait for a job. That is a long time. So I thought that was crazy, which sometimes that happens. I guess that happens in the film world that, I mean, Disney did try producing this movie two times before they got to this version and finally found what was going to work. So I guess it really does make sense that they would have cast her maybe during that first version and then it just didn't work out and then they had the second version and they're like actually sorry that's not gonna work either and so finally they hit the nail on the head with this one and they were like okay now you can do your job thanks for well, hanging in there with us the the first two attempts i think were like in the 30s and the 50s um oh really just kidding yeah. i don't know yeah so so this time around probably i'm guessing what happened was they said okay we're going to do this movie Let's find the actors for it. And so they started auditioning voice actors to, right. to, you know, to be in it. And so that's when she would have auditioned for it. But then you have the process of them actually getting ready to make the movie. So there's probably several years between when she auditioned and while they were storyboarding and trying to figure out 
right. what the flow of the movie was going to be. And we know that when they came in uh, from a, an interview, or I guess it was a panel discussion, that when they came in to do the recording, they already had like rough sketches of what the yes. characters were going to look like. Um, so that kind of makes sense if you follow that timeline. And then That's after true. they did That's the voice recording, they, they came in and, and flushed everything out and finished the uh, an animation. Actually, now that I think about it, I did hear somewhere that it took them about four years to yeah. make this movie. So my bad. I didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, still a long time. Still a long time. So she began her career on Broadway in 1983 in Showboat with Donald O'Connor, which I don't know if anybody who's listening to this knows who that is, but I love Donald O'Connor. So I think that's pretty cool. She was in, on Broadway <laughs> yeah. with him. He no was in Singing in the Rain. I have seen that. I, I don't know okay. any characters. <laughs> okay. He's the sidekick guy who plays the piano and is just really silly. Cool. So cool. anyway, <laughs> she began her career on Broadway in Showboat. And she began acting when she was four years old. She grew up in Florida. Um, she seems to be a fairly private person. So we don't know a whole lot about her. There's not a whole lot of research that I could find. Yeah. But if we move on to Richard White, who plays Gaston, he was 38 when he voiced Gaston. I don't know how old Gaston is supposed to be in this movie. I think I heard that Belle is supposed to be about 17. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we, we talked about that before and that's about yeah. what we were thinking. Uh, I just always, I don't know. I guess it makes sense that they always have people doing the voiceovers. You know, the people that are doing the voiceovers are much older than the character is supposed to be. It just always seemed a little weird to me. Um, I know. It's like, okay, I thought, you know, in my mind, this is what you look like. And then I find out you're like much older and different. Right. <laughs> well, he actually didn't, I don't think he looked, most of them because they were in their 30s. I mean, I guess 35 is quite a bit older than 17. You're going to look different. But if she had been in her 20s, she wouldn't have looked that much different than yeah. her 30s. So I don't know how old he's supposed to be, but the actual actor, Richard White, was 38. <laughs> um, he performed in musicals on Broadway, off-Broadway, regional theater. He's in a lot of shows. The Most Happy Fella, Gigi, Showboat. He also did Showboat, Carousel, and Get Your Gun, Oklahoma, Camelot, etc., etc. He did a lot of stage performing. I just really liked him in that panel interview that they did for the 25th anniversary. I love how he just, he kind of has a similar chin structure to Gaston. Um, it's just like mm -hmm. really defined and like he has these really strong cheekbones that make him look more, his face look a little bit more chiseled, which I thought was really interesting because, I mean, that's kind of what Gaston has going on. But he said in this interview, I wrote it down, lots of people really like him. I worked really hard to invest him with attractive qualities. And I thought that was so funny. And everybody's laughing. And he's like, why is everybody laughing? I really did. <laughs> but he's definitely charismatic himself, which was perfect for what Gaston needed to be, right? Yeah. Well, that, that part of the interview, the reason I laughed and the reason I thought that, that other people were laughing was because he kind of, you know, he's, he was talking and he gave like a little bit of a laugh, you know, just <laughs> at the end of what he was saying. And if you weren't looking at that's him, Gaston. you're like, that's Gaston. Like, he didn't put on a voice right. to do the character so right. much as that is his voice. And so, like, if you have your eyes closed, you hear that laugh and you're like, hey, right, that's him. Right, Well, and he was first introduced to the character through the music, through Alan Menken and, um, oh, gosh, what's his name? Something Howard. No pressure. <sighs> Something no Howard. Pressure. Crap. <laughs> 
by Mankin and Howard. I'm not being mean. He, I just he was don't know what the name. Music by Mankin and Howard. Um, and then after that, he saw the renderings, and so he kind of got an idea of who he was before he started to voice. In that same interview, they talked to the artist who was the lead animator for Gaston, and I really like some of the things that Sally found about him and how, I mean, basically the point of the way Gaston looks is that he's supposed to be handsome on the outside and ugly on the inside so that we can better understand this moral of don't judge a book by its cover. And at first he was like, okay, he kind of like thought he was going to be a little bit more like he said Captain Hook because like he's kind of got that same color scheme, the black hair, the red coat. And so he showed this first sequence, Belle, the song that we just finished he showed it to his boss and his boss was like um he's not handsome enough and he was like what he's the villain he's not supposed to be that handsome and he's like no he has to be more handsome and so this guy was like what you want him to look like a soap opera star and they were like yeah and he's like that's gonna be really hard to make this bad guy be really attractive and his boss was like well nobody said it was gonna be easy and then the meeting was over (laughs) And so I thought that was pretty funny. I mean, he 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 did did a a very good job. I mean, I don't think he's that handsome personally, but I can see how he's this representation of what's handsome. Yeah, he's definitely not. He doesn't have like the typical evil look to him. Um, He was also kind of loosely based or inspired by Bram Bone in Ichabod or whatever that movie is. Ichabod Crane, which he has the same coloring as that guy as well as Captain Hook. So that's something. And last thing, I guess, is that Richard White has a cleft in his chin. So that's kind of fun that they sing in a later song about Gaston's swell cleft in his chin. And Richard White had one, too. (laughs) So... Which came first, the chicken or the egg? Questionable, I have no idea. So moving on to LeFou. He was 36 when he voiced LeFou. Jesse Corti. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Jesse Corti, who is Venezuelan. Uh, Venezuelan-American. Oh. So I believe he was born and he's from venezuela but he was raised in the united states i think what i understand but he has done a lot of things in his career since then he was in zootopia he did a spanish diplomat in frozen he's been on lots of tv shows and video games i think one of the most interesting things i learned about him was about what happened to his first wife did you hear about that okay Uh -uh. so he was married and his wife was in a terrible Amtrak freight train accident um, and died. So she was on a passenger train and the crew of the freight train ended up, they ended up finding that this crew was, had taken marijuana and they didn't do things properly and they crashed into the Amtrak and killed like I feel like 16 people or something. And then he did um, a public service announcement with the like anti-drug um, campaign. And he told basically what happened to his wife and um, pretty sad. 
really sad. Yeah, that's that's rough. But I mean, obviously, he kept living. He got married again. He's done lots of things in his career. I mean, he's directed some things, I believe, some stage productions. So yeah, he's pretty amazing. He did the singing voice for the main dog in All Dogs Go to Heaven too. Have you seen that movie? I don't think I've seen that. I've one. never I seen the movie, the but one. I saw a clip of him, like of the song, and I was like, that doesn't sound like him at all. He's a master voiceover artist. I'm just saying. And as someone who is pursuing that as a career myself, he's very talented and versatile. So big fan of Jesse Cordy. Nice. Do you have anything else about any of these characters or actors? Paige O'Hara, Richard White, Jesse Cordy? Um, I don't think so. I think, I mean, the actors, I think you covered pretty well and we've kind of discussed so far uh, as much as we can into into the the characters in the movie so i think i'm good well then thanks guys for tuning in we appreciate you coming back again and again and hope that you enjoyed it and i didn't drone on for too long (laughs) no it was good um but yeah make sure to subscribe and if you get a minute please go on over to itunes where you can leave us a rating and review and let people know what you think of the show it will help the show get a little more out there into the world um, so that other disney lovers and beauty and the beast lovers can find it and enjoy it as well don't forget to send us your comments and your theories that you have about the movie anything you find that you want to share and you can do so with us on our facebook or twitter which are both at beastly minute and we also want to thank our researcher sally she does an awesome job and provides us with tons of information um, that we get to share with you guys so i think that's all we have and until tomorrow if it's not broke don't fix it our theme music is by duo hansen